At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? thank you. Thank you that you showed us what real love looked like. Thank you that we get to come here and sing about what real love is. That it's not just something that we can mentally assent to. It's not just a belief. It is an experience that I know I have passed from death into life. It is an experience because of what you've done for us, Jesus. So we love you. We praise you. We thank you on this Palm Sunday. We love you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that it's only by your blood evidence through your love, ultimately from our Father who sent you for us because you lost something and you wanted it back. Thank you that you still want us today. So as we hear your word today, I pray that it would fall on fertile ground in our hearts, that the seed would fall on good soil and fruit of righteousness would grow and would be birthed in our hearts and our lives that we would have a harvest of righteousness for your glory. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you. All of our trust is in you. In the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, have we prayed. Together we say amen and amen. Let's give him one more hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much for leading us to the presence of God. We can be seated now uh, in the presence of the Lord. I know there was a little bit of difference of, you know, when do I stand up, when do I sit down, but uh, you know when God tells you to stand up, amen? When you, when you got to just stand up and throw your hands up in the air, that's when you know it's time, okay? Got a question to start us with. Uh, how many of us here are on social media? Maybe not like right now to get through the, the sermon, right? I know that's probably what you're thinking, right? Like, like, actually, when you start talking every Sunday, I open Instagram. No, but just on social media. How many of us, by a show of hands, have a social media account, right? Whatever it might be. And, and you know, it, it's a beautiful thing, right? It is one of the most amazing, connective, and communal tools the world has ever been introduced to, social media. It's an amazing blessing in our lives. We can have church via social media. We can connect with people that you went to sixth grade with and you haven't heard from in 25 years, you know. Uh, that is an amazing blessing that we have social media to, uh, at our disposal, and it's a great thing, and there's great and many things that are um, really good for us, but there's also some very real issues with it. Amen. One of the primary issues I've found with social media is that we can create a false identity. That we can become someone on the internet that we aren't actually in real life. That when we post the highlight reel of our life and the very best angles at the golden hour, right? And, you know, there's all this beautiful things that we post about ourselves and, you know, all the beauty of our life, all the fun, all the attractive things while leaving all the brokenness, all the struggle, all the bad hair days behind, 
right? I don't have any bad hair days on social media, so praise God. But we can create this false identity where it looks like there's no mess. We can create this false identity where, uh, you know, you're not chasing your little kids around, you know, trying to get them to take a bath. That's like what every night in our house looks like, right? We don't post those pictures on social media. So we can create a false identity, and when people see that, it's an identity that they think they can never live up to, but it's an identity that they think, why is my, not, my life not like that? And comparison can kill us, and we can selectively hide that which we don't want others to see. Now, this is a concept that uh, is uh, a concept that many of us young people may know. It's called catfishing. Anybody by a show of hands? You may not even want to raise your hand, right? And your parents are like, you better tell me what that means after service, right? Right, so maybe it, 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 probably in the last two decades or so, it's a term that has become popular via social media where somebody creates a profile about themselves that isn't actually who they are, right? They post the most beautiful pictures, not even of themselves, but of other people, and then by the time you get to see them, you're like, oh, this is different. This is not who you said you were, right? And this term comes from uh, actually real fishing, right? Uh, so even if you don't know what catfishing is on the internet, you know what catfishing is if you've gone fishing because you can feel like you've got a huge fish on the line, right? Because they hang out on the bottom and they're usually stuck in mud. And by the time they get up, uh, usually catfish are the ones that do this. They're not typically that big, right? That there's this projection of something that is not real. And the problem with social media, the problem with catfishing, all these things is that that same reality can make its way into our Christian life. That we can present something on the outside that is not actually who we are on the inside. That we can follow Jesus in profession, in name, in church attendance, and in public matters, but in our day-to-day, moment-to-moment life, sometimes the reality of his love, the reality of his blood, doesn't actually affect us day-to-day. But we project something on the outside that looks beautiful and we put, uh, there's a reason Sunday best, right? That we, we dress up and we look a certain way and talk a certain way. But, but this goes against everything scripture says about who we're supposed to be. That we're actually supposed to have died and he is the one living. That the old has passed away, a new creation is who we are in Christ. And when we look at the totality of scripture, we see that who Jesus has made us to be, if we are authentically found in Christ is what's going to come out. That there can't be a false identity for those who are in Christ. That it is his identity alone. And as we've looked through the totality of scripture, as we uh, wrap up our our sermon series that we've been in for the past many weeks today in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to see that Jesus is talking about this this thing precisely. That everybody's going to be separated into one of two flocks ultimately. And it's going to be evidenced by who you are on the inside and who you are on the outside. That there cannot be this identity crisis with a Christian. Jesus cannot be catfished, amen? He knows exactly who you are through and through. And the picture that we're going to see today here in Matthew chapter 25 is that our actions reveal our identity. Our actions reveal our identity. That's the big idea for today. I would uh, tell you to follow along on the screen, but I know nothing's on the projector behind me. So if you don't have a Bible today, you got to make sure you're opening up the Bible. Get it on your phone or get it uh, on the book in front of you. Uh, If you didn't grab a bulletin today, all the points are going to be on the bulletins. You can take notes there. But what we're going to see is that our actions reveal our identity. And before we jump into the scripture, Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 31 today. We have one more question before we can... Uh, approach the scripture that if if someone were to look at your life like your real life day in day out not just you know when you have zoom meetings and you're wearing pajama pants right your real life what would they see 
Would they see someone who is following Christ in thought, word, and deed? Or would they see someone who is following something or someone else? This is what Jesus gets to as we look at the, the end of the Olivet Discourse here. That true followers of Jesus Christ will always be found by Jesus Christ, right? And I'm so excited that we get to be here on this Palm Sunday, right? Jesus came into Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21. He went into the temple. He cleansed the temple. He preached the woes to the Pharisees. He, in that temple, he said what was going to happen to that temple. Then he climbed up this mountain, the Mount of Olives, with his disciples. And we've been looking at what he's been teaching for these past number of weeks. And we're going to look at his final teaching today as Jesus has his face set toward the cross. And today we're going to uh, go in a little bit different order than we have been going in the in the past few weeks because we don't have a parable today. It may seem and sound like a parable to you, but these are Jesus' real words that are going to come out one day. It's not a fictional story. This is what Jesus is going to say one day. So uh, we're going to look at this in three points today, uh, and we're going to read a couple verses at a time, and then we're going to really flesh out these points. And I think, you know, perhaps more than any other theme throughout the Olivet Discourse, that we've been looking at this sermon series called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, how these very real truths that are going to happen in the future ought to uh, dictate how we live uh, in our life today. Christ has been telling his disciples about this expectant patience, that you need to be waiting patiently, but you also need to be waiting expectantly. You need to be found faithful and diligent, and ultimately you need to be good stewards of that which has been entrusted to you. And if Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, the repentance of your sins, the confession of him as Lord has been entrusted to you, there is no higher stewardship that we could possibly have in our lives. Amen? Okay, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25 today, and we're going to wrap up uh, the Olivet Discourse. We're going to do it in three truths. The first truth is that Christ will one day gloriously return. That one day it is coming. It is an inevitability that Christ will one day gloriously return. Let's look at the first few verses here in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33. It says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So Christ will one day gloriously return, and this is... Very different than the first time he came to earth, right? It was uh, almost like secret and obscure the first time he came to earth. He came as God, but in the form of a virgin-born baby in this tiny little town, born in a manger. There doesn't sound to be anything miraculous or, or, or major like that. But the second coming that he's talking about, when he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, the second coming will be like the flood of Noah, right? As he talked about last chapter, it will be undeniable and the most visible event in the entirety of human history, right? Everyone will know that this has happened. It won't be some baby that was born in a manger somewhere and just a handful of people thought maybe this was the Messiah. No, every single person will know this day is coming, church, and all the angels are coming with him. And, and that is called the eschaton, right? Eschatology is something that we've been talking about, this, this theology about end times or things in the future. The eschaton is the end of time. It is the final event and the eschaton is being ushered in here in this final judgment when the son of man comes in his glory with all the angels with him and he is going to be sitting on this glorious throne but this glorious throne is also going to be the judgment seat 
right? The bema seat of Christ, which is the final judgment seat. And we know throughout all of scripture that this is an idea that we've seen. That from the Old Testament, in Zechariah and Isaiah, we know this day is coming. From the New Testament, really all throughout Matthew, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, all throughout the book of Jude, we see this day coming. We see what this is going to look like and that he's coming to execute judgment. And yes, for us, those of us who have put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ, it's an amazing, exciting moment where we say, thank you. Come, Lord Jesus, right? The Apostle John said as he wrapped up the book of Revelation, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. We want you to come. It's going to be a glorious moment. We see this again all throughout Scripture. But his return might not feel glorious for everyone. It'll be one that brings judgment with finality and separation. That up until this point, the coming of the Son of Man, all the nations have been dwelling together in one pasture. Right? We might feel like we have unbelievable freedom, but we are in a pasture. The pasture is called the earth. You can't wander beyond it, right? You can maybe go for a journey here or there for a minute, but every single one of us is on this same pasture that God has put us all into. We are all part of this pasture, and God is sending his son, Jesus Christ, as this good shepherd king to come back and separate the sheep from the goats out of all of the nations. That there is a day coming where the sheep will be on the right, the goats will be on the left. And, and you may be tempted to ask, like, what's the big deal? Like, what does that even mean? Like, are, I've seen baby goats. They're cute on YouTube. Like, what's, what's the problem? Sheep throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, we know this. Jesus is called the good shepherd, are always indicative of who God's people are, right? That these are God's people, the ones that belong to him. We see this all throughout the parables of Matthew. And you, you, know, you may even wonder, like, what's, what's the big difference? And in Jesus' time when he was giving the Olivet Discourse, many people wouldn't have thought this was an enormous difference. Because to the untrained eye, sheep and goats, when pastured together, they can look pretty similar. Sheep don't always look like these perfect spotless unblemished white little ewe lamb that we see in in the middle east sheep and goats are both pretty dirty right they walk around in dirt all the time right and now it's starting to make a little bit more sense to you i think about the pasture that we're walking in right sometimes sheep and goats can both get pretty dirty right and and it takes a, a very trained eye of the shepherd to know exactly which one's which that how many of you ever seen somebody that might be a goat but they sure look like a sheep it's hard to the untrained eye, right? To separate the difference between sheep and goats. To separate the difference between children of God and children of the devil. And many people would say, like, well, Christians are the most hypocritical people on earth. And Christians are the most judgmental people on earth. And, you know, Christians think they're high and mighty and better than everyone else. But remember, there is an eye that is very trained. And Christians are not judgmental. Christians are not hypocritical. The Lord knows his true church. Now, sometimes we can get caught up in our flesh and we can, we can sin. We can make mistakes, right? But deep-seated hypocrisy and judgmentalism, that is not found in Christ's true church. That is not found in the real sheep of the shepherd. And he is coming one day with his very practiced eye. We know this because he sees, as 1 Samuel says, God sees the inward. God sees the heart of a man. You cannot catfish Jesus. That there is no amount of church attendance or amount of good deeds that we do that would cause Jesus to say, ah, are you a sheep or a goat? 
He knows that he knows that he knows. He sees the heart of man. And again, believers, this should cause great celebration for us. That he's coming back one day. Jesus, the good shepherd, the shepherd king, to make all things right. To clean up this pasture. And that we will be able to dwell with him forever. There will be no pain, no tears, no sadness. This is an amazing celebration for us. But if you're sitting in here today and you're hearing some of these phrases about the difference between sheep and goats and you're wondering, somebody may figure out that I only come to church because I think it's the right thing to do. Or I only do these good things so other people will see me. And Jesus is coming one day to say, I know who you are. I know the difference between sheep and goats. So you may be sitting here today just looking like a sheep. Jesus knows, okay? So again, this is not meant to, to scare anyone. Hey, Zach, will you do me a quick favor? Will you close the kitchen door, please? Thank you. If I can hear it, you can hear it, amen? <laughs> Jesus knows the reality of our true identity, that we can try and fit in in the pasture and look like sheep and act like sheep and ba like sheep, but Jesus will ultimately judge the authenticity of our position. He knows it. So how does he know, right? God is God, right? So, so I'm not going to get into how does Jesus know who belongs to him. He's Jesus. He knows, right? And we know from Scripture that true, authentic confession, repentance, uh, and faith in our hearts, that that is what will get us to the Lord. John 14, 6, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. We know what it says in the Scripture. I don't know exactly how Jesus is going to do this, right? I just know it's going to happen. And I know on that day it's going to happen. But he does give us a little bit of uh, an insight into this as well. You know, we're, we're going to go through the, the biggest chunk of scripture today that we're going to be in. It's chapter, uh, chapter 25, 34 through 45, and we're going to see what can we see on the outward? What is Jesus going to measure by? Again, this is not a parable. This is not a made-up story. These are Jesus's words. It says, when the Son of Man comes back and he's going to gloriously reign on his throne, execute judgment, separate all nations, sheep from the goat, sheep on the right, goats on the left, so what will it look like? And we're going to see in point number two here, but we're going to look at verses 34 through 45. Follow along here with me in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcomed you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, the goats, remember, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you naked or sick or in prison? When did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger and didn't minister to you? He'll answer them, truly, I say to you. As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now, you need to track with me all the way through point number two, okay? Uh, so say, I'm with you, Pastor. 
Okay, good. Because this, this has the temptation for our, our flesh to sound like something it isn't. Point number two is faith without works is worthless. Faith without works is worthless. So the stage is set, right? The sheep are on the right. The goats are on the left. The, the right hand of the king is the place of blessing at all times. So we see this, this theme coming through. And we see that on the right that, that the king says, you are blessed. Come into this eternal kingdom that my father has prepared for you. And then on the left to the goats, he say, you are not blessed. You are cursed. Depart from me into this eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We'll get back to who was who this was prepared for in just a moment. So what we see in our passage is the basis of, separa- of separation, right? And we see this in Jesus' words, the basis of separation between the sheep and the goats. One was called to come. One was commanded to depart. One was considered blessed and righteous. The other unrighteous and cursed. And they did not do what the righteous did. The righteous fed, watered, welcomed, clothed, visited Jesus while he was all these things. But they are asking the same question at the end, like, when, when did we do that? We, we don't actually recall doing that. And what Jesus says here is an amazing reality that we have to understand the, the fullness of Matthew's gospel to understand this, right? I think all the way back to chapter 10. When Jesus says, uh, the, remember the discourse about these little ones, right? And if you lead these little ones astray, it would be better for you to have a millstone cast around your neck and thrown into the sea, right? Like, so these little ones that he's talking about. And then that comes out a little bit more in chapter 18. And then now in chapter 25, he's saying the least of these, those are actually variations of the same word. It's little or small or least or less than. So these little children of mine, these brothers of mine, the least of these, and Jesus says the thing Things that you have done unto them, I consider myself to be so um, tied to them to such an extent that you are doing it unto me as well, right? We see this principle throughout scripture. It's a general principle that we would see in the proverb, right? That, that those who are kind to the poor lend to the Lord. The Lord doesn't need to borrow anything, right? So those who are kind to the poor lend to the Lord. We start to see this theory turn into practice and it comes out for us in real life right now. Where Jesus says, here's the difference. That he's the one who looks upon the heart of man. He doesn't have to tell us this stuff, does he? He doesn't have to say, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to look like. Here's who's going to be a sheep and here's who's going to be a goat. He talks about your service. But how many of us can serve our way into heaven? None of us. So again, that's why you got to track with me. Because it looks like this is works-based salvation, right? Upon the, at the very uh, surface, Jesus is saying, you did all these good things, come on in. You didn't, stay out. But that is not what Jesus is saying. Remember, Jesus looks on the heart. Somebody say, looks on the heart. Right? So it, it is actually inappropriate for us to put a category on the least of these, right? That some of us think it's overseas missions. Some of us think it's the poor among us. Some of us think it's, it's a different type of people. But Jesus is the only one who's qualified to make this separation. And I believe that scripture would, would prove very true that who Jesus is talking about is his spiritual kin. When he says my brothers, we know who he's talking about. And, and this doesn't even have to be somebody that you know to be a Christian at that moment, right? 
right? This doesn't have to be somebody that you know is sitting next to you in church at that moment. Because Jesus and his father are outside of time. He knows who is going to be written in the book of life and who is not. So the way that we treat each other, the way that we are treating the least or these little ones in the world's eyes, which in my opinion is the church, right? The world looks at us and thinks we are very small, insignificant, and our voice does not matter. So Jesus is being very clear here. And I think he's saying any brother of his, however insignificant, however little, however small, that when we serve that person, that brother, that sister, that Jesus himself is served, and it is that service which is the criterion of judgment. Now, again, many are tempted to look at this passage and develop a works-based theology, but that is not what Jesus is getting at here. He is not saying if you can compile 325 good deeds, you can make it in. It is not measuring the amount of mercy that we have. What Jesus is saying, remember, he looks on the inward. The point is always the same. It is about salvation, faithfulness, stewardship, and discipleship as evidenced by love and mercy. That salvation produces these good works. That it is not the other way around. That these good works, us visiting people in prison, are not the means to an end. It is the product of an inwardly changed life. That this is a type of person that we would be that if we have experienced Jesus Christ. Not only just belief, but real authentic experience. Knowing that we have passed from death into life. This is what your life will look like. This is how you will know. We saw this throughout uh, when we were in our first sermon series of the year, The Forgotten Virtue. Remember, John said so commonly, this is how you can know that you can know that you can know. This is how you can be sure that you belong to Jesus. The love that you have for the brotherhood. The obedience that you have to his commandments. Jesus is saying much of the same thing right here. And what he's getting at is the way we open today. Identity is ultimately the issue. But you can't pretend your way into heaven. You can't just do a bunch of good deeds and think that you are good. So he's asking for us today. He doesn't have to ask what kind of person you are. He knows. He's asking for us today. Are you the type of person that has experienced my love, my grace, my mercy, my forgiveness, received my sacrifice, found amongst the sheep by my father, and does your life look like this? And if your life does not look like this, then perhaps you've never actually experienced Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. But salvation, true, authentic salvation, produces these acts. The point that Jesus is making again is that a person cannot claim his identity, Christ himself, his identity, as a sheep of the good shepherd, without being evidenced in goodness and mercy. Without having a life that is evidenced in these acts of obedience if we had time to preach through the entirety of james chapter 2 right which if anybody knew jesus right the guy who how many of you know your siblings better than anyone else on earth right the good and the bad right so if if i was jesus's brother right and i would try to i would want to try and get something over on him right if i'm trying to prove like hey it wasn't all that like it was a household thing he doesn't have anything bad to say. He talks about this as well with faith and works, that faith without works are work worthless. Works without faith, worthless. It's a dead faith, and these are dead works. And Jesus is saying that these sins of omission are judged just as harshly. So as we look at the evidence of a life that is authentically saved by Christ, this is what we begin to see. Again, not a works-based righteousness. Acts of mercy are never done as a means to an end. 
They are the product of a life that has been changed. They are the product of a life that has actually, authentically experienced the passing of death into life. And if we just believe it, it's not enough. Right? I, I tell my little children, Jude, <laughs> Jude is a great example of this. He's a, he's an, a lovely two-year-old that uh, his act of worship is running around the sanctuary, right? I told him the other day as I was frying fish, it's hot. I bet he believed me. And then he touched it. And he experienced that it's hot. If I tell you Jesus is Lord and he's coming back, you're in church, you might even believe me. Until you've experienced it, there is something very, very different, church, between belief and experience. And an experience, an authentic experience, produces this kind of life. But faith without works is worthless. Again, the Apostle John said this, right, where he said, little children, I want you to do these things, not, not just in faith and in talk, not just in word and in talk, but indeed in truth, you need to experience these things. This is how you'll know that you belong to Jesus. This is how you'll know that you are going to be found amongst the sheep on the right hand of the king, the spot of blessing, going into the place, the eternal kingdom that was prepared for you. So... Faith without works is worthless. Jesus is absolutely returning one day. Point number three, which is our last point, our last verse of this sermon series called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. It all comes to this culmination, right? It all comes to this moment. And verse 46 says this. This is the end of the Olivet Discourse. Remember the last sermon that Jesus is going to preach to his disciples. The last thing that Jesus said to those who he was closest to, he says this. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So your faith determines your destination. So he talks about two different kinds of identities. There's only two kinds of identities. But here he's saying there's only two destinations as well. That your faith determines your destination. So he said there's only two types of people. Blessed, cursed. Those for me, those against me. The sheep, then the goats. There's not people in between. Remember, the sheep, the blessed, the righteous, those are the ones who the king will say, come on into this place that was prepared for you. And again, I told you we'd come back to this. Vitally important to understand that when he addresses the goats, he says that I'm going to cast you into an eternal fire, a place that was prepared for who? The devil and his angels. So they're going to a place that wasn't even meant for them. God wants all of us. A place prepared for the righteous and a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, uh, I'm going to get a little outside of uh, very formal uh, reformed theology for a minute, okay? So don't walk out, right? This is, this is a little bit of meology here, okay? And there's a difference between theology and meology, amen? Just want to make sure we're all clear here. I believe you have to work really hard to get to hell. Now, Jesus does say the way is wide, right? And many find it. I still think you got to work really hard to get to hell. And who is you? You. Why? Because there's going to be a moment when he comes back gloriously. And you'll say, oh, oh I didn't know it was going to be like this. And he's going to say, uh, 1024 a.m., Sunday, March 28th, you heard the good news about me. What happened? And you may be tempted to say, well, you know, I'm, I don't really trust Pastor Ryan. I don't even really like Pastor Ryan that much. He's going to say, where's Pastor Ryan? 
He's going to say, this is between me and you right now. So there is a moment where heaven may go on instant replay, right? And he'll take you back to this moment when he's saying, oh, hello, goat. And you're like, no, 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 I'm a sheep. And he's like, no, I know the difference. There's going to be a moment where he's going to say, this time, right here, right now, you heard the gospel. It's not just that you didn't want to believe it. It's the same thing with, with two types of people and two destinations. You either receive or reject the gospel. There is no indifference to the gospel. You either willfully receive it or willfully reject it. So, and again, the meology here says it's pretty hard to get to hell. So, in my opinion, if you reject the gospel, it's because you don't want what Jesus has to offer. And there's a day coming when he's going to say, come my sheep, right, come on, you're going to be on my right hand. There's this, there's this blessing. But there's going to be a moment where there's going to be no confusion. There's going to be an instant replay, right, and it's going to go to the chief judge, the chief, the chief official, and they're going to be able to make the decision. This reminds me uh, of a moment uh, that's very special to me. Uh, and it's a special moment because it was two days after we got married. It was September 12th, 2010. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, uh, September 12th, 2010. And the Chicago Bears beat the Detroit Lions. Um, so it's a very special moment for me. They won 19 to 14 that day. Um, but does it, any, any big time football fans remember something significant that might have happened between the Bears and the Lions in week one? of 2010 every single human being on earth thought calvin johnson caught that ball right i thought he caught the ball i was like oh my bears lost the game it looked like a touchdown every player on the bears thought it was a catch every player on the lions thought it was a catch matthew stafford gets hurt sean hill throws this beautiful pass calvin johnson catches it up over the a defender that he made look like a child rolls into the end zone lets the ball go and celebrates touchdown game over it really looked like a touchdown. Caught the ball, went to the ground with the touchdown, put the ball on the ground, and then let go of it, right? I, and me watching and, and watching his career, I'm like, oh, that was a touchdown. I know Calvin Johnson can make that catch. However, to everyone else on earth, it looked like a catch, except to the one person that it was their responsibility to make the review. Only one person was ultimately responsible for whether or not that was a catch, and that person said no catch. So it's the same with our lives. Even if everyone around you says, oh yeah, that's a Christian for sure. There is going to be an instant replay moment where God is going to look at every one of our lives as the only one qualified to make the review and he's either going to say catch or no catch. So as we look back from that moment, as you look forward from this moment, there is either receiving or rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, church. And I can't put it any more plainly than this, right? We, we have just seen that faith without works is worthless. We have seen that Jesus is coming back, and we see that our faith is what determines our eternal destination. There is one judge who is going to be able to make that call. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road, church, that if we do not have that understood, if we do not understand that only faith in Christ determines our destination, again, it's not just belief. It's bigger than belief. It is experience, and it's the same thing with our faith. Again, that, that same illustration about belief and experience. Uh, a great, great preacher named Ray Comfort says that uh, the person with an experience is not at the mercy of, of the person with an argument. That if you have experienced something to be true, no one can argue to you that it's not true. So if our life has been found with Jesus Christ, if we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, that our salvation comes from him, we have repented of our sinful acts, thoughts, 
deeds, words, all of it, and confess that he is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then we will be found with him either when our life expires or he comes back and he says, come on, there is a beautiful place prepared for you. But if that moment comes and you are not prepared, there will be an instant replay, right? And he'll look back and he'll say, not just right here, right now. There was a moment where the gospel was presented and you didn't choose it. Now, this is not a debate about Calvinism or Arminianism. This is not a debate about election, predestination. That's not what we're getting at. The Bible makes a pretty good case for both, in my opinion. But we're not, we're not there right now. But we are called to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that every single one of us is headed to hell unless we repent of our sinful deeds, confess that he's Lord, and that God raised him from the dead in three days, and we shall be saved. And when we do experience that authentic change from passing from death into life, this is the type of life that will, be, will evidence it, right? That when people are hungry, we feed them. When people are thirsty, we give them drink. And when people are naked, sick, in prison, all these things that Jesus says. If it was just faith alone, which we know that we can't work our way into heaven. But if it was only just a profession of faith, why would he say this stuff? Clearly this matters. It's the last sermon he gave to probably the most important men in his life. The people he loved so dearly. So where have you placed your faith today? Has it changed the way you live? As we've seen in our passage today, and as we've seen throughout our message today, that our actions reveal our identity, but our faith transforms more than just our head and our heart. It transforms our hands as well, that our lives have to look like this. So as we wrap up this Olivet Discourse, as we are entering into Holy Week, as we have all these uh, incredible service opportunities in front of us with times of prayer throughout the, this entirety of the week, we'll have service on Wednesday night and Friday night and, good, and, and Resurrection Sunday uh, next week, 9.30, 11.30 a.m., same as always. And we're going to have great service opportunities throughout the spring and the summer, and we've got school at church going on. We've got all kinds of great stuff that you can put your faith into work. Now, again, this is not a message that says if you don't serve 53 hours a year, you're going to hell. This is not what Jesus is saying. He is saying this will produce this type of life. So what is your identity? So we go back to the first question. If someone were to look at your life every moment of every day, the real version of your life, not just the version on social media, not just the version of when you come to church or when we're in a meeting together, but the real version when no one's watching. Are you following Jesus or are you following someone else or something else? So as Jesus stresses this with deep importance in our lives, we have to understand today, how will this reality, remember, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he'll sit on the judgment seat, he'll reign in glory. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel excited? Do you get excited to say, I can't wait until my Savior comes back and renews all things and remakes all things and everything is beautiful and every moment of my life has come to this where I get to live with him in eternity singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and I am so excited to serve the Lord here on earth so that when he comes back I can say, oh, look at all this great stuff that happened through my life with all the resources you gave. That's an exciting moment when he returns. Or when he calls our life 
And we go up to him and we say, thank you. I'm so glad I get to see you. I've been waiting for this, serving for this my whole life. Or do we experience the other side of that coin? Hearing this judgment is coming and saying like, oh, well, I better get a few hundred more good deeds in before my time on earth expires. But that's not the way it works. The Son of Man looks on the heart. Our actions reveal our identity. It is not that we are identified by our actions. Our actions reveal our identity. So if our identity is dead and then raised with Christ, hallelujah. If your identity is I must decrease that he may increase, hallelujah. If your identity is it is no longer I who live but him who lives through me, hallelujah. And this is the type of life that it will look like. And I, re- I know we're all busy, church. I know we've got stuff going on. I know you may feel overprogrammed, but Jesus does not care. <laughs> He's not worried about your Outlook calendar. He's not worried about, you know, like, well, yeah, you, you're so busy with all these things that don't look like any of these things I told you to do. And I'm not saying everybody's got to quit their job, right? <laughs> I'm not saying we all need to leave and go on mission uh, to a foreign country right now. I am saying when you leave this building, right, that you are in the mission field, but you don't even have to leave. You're on mission right now, right here with your neighbor. To the least of these, even my brothers and my sisters, the ones that are maybe sitting next to you that you think are the least of the people in the church, Jesus is talking about them. He is talking about missionaries that were sent in his name, and he is talking about brothers and sisters in the church. In Matthew 10, 18, and 25, this is what this word means. This is what the context would flesh out. So our actions reveal our identity, church. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. We're going to sing a song that's a familiar song and I think a fitting song for us today. It's called The Lion and the Lamb. That we have a lion of the tribe of Judah fighting our battles. Hallelujah. You can tag him in and he can fight your battles because he is undefeated. And he is the one who has uh, won the victory, won the battle against sin, death, hell, and the grave. And every demon flees at his name. Every tongue will confess he's Lord and every knee will bow. That is the lion of the tribe of Judah that made his triumphal entry this week. That is the lion that we get to sing praises to. But he's also the lamb that was slain. The only one who could have shrunk the chasm between a sinful man and a holy God. And he built that bridge on this cross that we could be reunited forever in perfect and holy communion and fellowship with God our Father. And if this is the first, hundredth, thousandth time you've heard that and you haven't done anything about it, friend, don't let another day pass without doing something about it. Don't let another moment pass without saying, I look like a sheep, but I know in my heart I'm following myself. I know in my heart I'm following the the wind of unsound doctrine blowing me to and fro, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. Because looking like a sheep is not going to get us into that eternal kingdom pasture. But only those who have authentically put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray for us as we sing this song. I want to invite you to stand to your feet, and we're going to give shouts of praise and adoration cries of worship to our King. Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, we say thank you today. Thank you that you have given yourself to us. Thank you that you have sacrificed your life on the cross, not only for our benefit, but for your own obedience. 
that you are obedient to your Father, obedient even to the point of death on a cross, because you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So today we profess our love for you, and I pray that you would give us more opportunities for our actions to reveal our identity. Not to go chase our identity through good deeds. Our identity is in you and you alone. But if we have been saved, our lives will be transformed, and this is what our hands will do, what you have described at the end of the Olivet Discourse here. So I pray we would take this seriously today. I pray that we would leave this place understanding that you are indeed the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and you are coming back with all of the angels to judge everything with equity. But it's by your standard, not mine. So even if my life looks like I caught a touchdown pass, but the review declares I did not, please help our hearts today. Please minister to the inward place today. Please reach that place that we've been hiding from you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you that you are the victorious lion of the tribe of Judah, but you also are that lamb that was slain, that blood that has purified us, washed us white as snow. So as we praise and worship in this moment, keep our eyes fixed on you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. We ask in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Together we say amen and amen. Let's sing praises to our King, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.